Many people on New Year's will make New Year's resolutions and say, here's the direction I want to go. Some people don't bother with that whatsoever. This morning, I'm not going to say, let's make some New Year's resolutions. I want to remind us that as a body, as families, as individuals, we should continue to pursue God's glory, living for his glory individually, as couples, as families, as a body of believers on the job, shopping, and so on. And just reminding us, here's a direction we want to go. Here's a direction we want to continue to go. And what would I say, renew our commitment for God's glory. And a couple thoughts in relation to God's glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy himself forever. Ponder those statements briefly. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy himself forever. C.S. Lewis says the greatest problem of human beings is that they are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis says in another place, and I quote, If there lurks in the most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. End of quote. We are satisfied, at least temporarily, with computers, with technology, with games, with retirement, with houses, with clothing, with money, with iPhones. And they are not wrong, but we can be pleased with them. We pursue one thing and then we pursue another and they will satisfy for a period of time. What about God's glory? What about Christ and Christ alone? What about just enjoying God in our day-by-day living? What about pursuing our joy by glorifying God? What about finding 
satisfaction in God's glory. As we begin a new year, as a united body of believers, we want to pursue God's glory. And pursuing God's glory is not something that is difficult or hard, as I will comment on towards the end of the sermon. It's daily life on the job, shopping, in school, at home, or whatever we may be doing. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 42. Just a few moments in Isaiah 42 and then look at several other passages. Isaiah is a prophecy of judgment and comfort. Isaiah has much to say about judgment. But in the midst of that judgment, he is bringing comfort. And keep in mind that he pronounces judgment that is yet to come. Because Israel is going to spend time in captivity and a lot of difficulty. But yet in the midst of that judgment, he says, I want to encourage you. Israel's history involved much idol worship. Keep that in mind. A lot of idol worship in Israel's history before we get to Isaiah chapter 42. Let's read Isaiah 42 beginning with verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Now notice he says, here is my servant. If you go back to chapter 41, 8 through 10, we won't go there, but you'll find that the servant seems to be referring to the nation of Israel. Here is my servant whom I uphold. They're going to be judged. They've been in idolatry and so on. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit in him and he will bring justice to the nations. Verse 2. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he sits establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the Lord, says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out. He who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it. Who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. In spite of judgment, God says, Israel, I'm not done with you. I am the Lord. This is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being. I announce them to you. Notice in verse 8, I am the Lord. The term Lord here is Jehovah, Yahweh, meaning the self-existing one, independent one, the one who has no beginning and no end. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another 
or my praise to idols. You reflect on Israel's history. It is not always very nice. But yet, in verses 1 through 8, he talks about the fact that he is going to work in Israel. He's still going to use them. And in that context, he says, I won't give my glory to another. Israel may rebel. They may not always respond. The Lord says, I still want the glory. Turn over to chapter 43, verses 10 and 11. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. Before me no God was formed, nor will they be one after me. Then over to chapter 48 and verse 11. Isaiah 48 and verse 11. In the context of Israel being stubborn and unresponsive, the Lord says, For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. God is very concerned about his own glory. And again, we could spend a lot of time in Isaiah but want us to see that in the midst of judgment, in the midst of rebellion, God says, I want the glory. I will get it. I won't yield my glory to another. And it's interesting that his glory is tied in with Israel and what they do or don't do. It's a corporate glory. What We have God, but we also have Israel. He made promises, covenants. They didn't always respond but that glory being interrelated. Now, we use the term glory of God, and sometimes we say, what does it mean that God wants the glory? The root word with its derivatives occur 376 times in the Hebrew Bible, 64 times in the Psalms, 63 times in Isaiah, 33 times in Exodus, 25 times in Ezekiel, 24 times in Proverbs. The root word for glory in Hebrew involves heavy or weighty. Heavy or weighty. It's used only two times literally in the Old Testament. But it's used figuratively in the balance of the Occurrences in the Old Testament. Figuratively, it's used, first of all, heavy or weighty in a negative way. It has a negative connotation. That is, spiritual problems, slow to learn. Someone is weighted down, they're heavy. They're not responding. It's used also, figuratively, of heavy work. And it is used figuratively of deep sin. Israel was heavy 
into sin quite often. Israel many times was heavy into disobedience. The sense in which we want to discuss or have discussed to this point this morning is weighty in the sense of being that should be noteworthy, glorious, honorable. Weighty in the sense of being noteworthy, glorious, and honorable. God is heavy, weighty, in being noteworthy, glorious, honorable. The term glory is used, the person must merit the honor. The person must be deserving of the honor. And things they do are noteworthy. You think about God and his righteousness, his faithfulness, his judgments, his salvation. They're heroic deeds that are noteworthy. The term also used figuratively in a positive way means beauty. God is worthy of honor. He's deserving of the honor. He has performed heroic feats, and he is beautiful in terms of his character. He's worthy of honor. He weighs heavy, if you please, for his own honor. In Exodus chapter 40 and verse 34, Listen as I read a verse. If you want to turn there, you can. As it relates to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was built in the desert. And verse Isaiah 40 and verse 34 says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory, the weightiness, if you please, of the Lord filled the temple. Moses could not enter the temple of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God's presence being displayed in a very, very powerful manner. Go over to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19, as we reflect on the glory of God, Psalm 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims the work of his hands. The heavens declare the glory of God. Go out and just observe the sky, whether it be during the day or during the night, whether it be clear weather or whether it be stormy weather. On a clear night, lay out under the stars and just observe. The heavens declare the worthiness of God, the beauty of God, the honor of God, the heaviness of God. Day after day, they pour forth their speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. We are told that there are stars that are light years away. 
Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Multiply that by 60, and you get a minute. Multiply that by 60, and you get an hour. Multiply that by 24, and you get a day. Multiply that by 365, and you get a year. I figured that out already. I don't have the figure in front of me at this time. But it's a big figure, and stars are light years away. The heavens declare his glory, his greatness, his weightiness. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other Nothing is hidden from its heat. Creation displays, manifests the glory of God. And it is a constant in the world in which we live. We get up. The world is there. We go to bed. The world is there. It's a constant. It's weighty. Weighty in the sense that it displays God's honor, His beauty. His majesty. John chapter 1. You can listen as I read. Another way that glory is displayed. The word referring to Christ became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Christ came. He displayed the glory of his Father. As you read the Gospels, you see the glory of Christ. You see the glory of the Father. It's weighty. It's heavy. As it relates to God's honor, God's beauty, things that Christ did that were noteworthy to reflect God in his glory. The Old Testament, the term, involves weighty or heavy. Glory in the New Testament would involve a reputation, honor, dignity, majesty, splendid, pomp, magnificent, radiance, Dazzling. I have attempted to think about anything on earth that we can say fits this description. It's hard to come up with an answer. That we can say is really magnificent. That is radiant that is dazzling, that is splendor, that is majestic. Now the heavens declare the glory of God. But it's hard to come up with a tangible thing and say, here's glory. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. 
Revelation chapter 1. John is on the Isle of Patmos, and he sees a vision. And we'll pick up reading. He hears a voice. Pick up reading with Revelation 1 and verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like, or white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came his sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. John saw Christ. The three that were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus saw him transfigured. What is Christ like? Maybe we ought to say read Revelation 1 and Revelation 19 and Revelation 20 and 21. He's majestic. He's splendid. He's magnificent. He's dazzling. He's radiance. Don't do this, but on a clear day, you look at the sun. It's going to do a number on your eyes. You look directly at it. It's radiant. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. His voice like the sound of rushing waters. There's a speaker in the radio. Uh, the man has since passed away and I don't know, he had this deep, booming voice, and someone said one time, if I wonder what God sounds like, I just listen to him. He just seems to sound like God. You know, there's a deep, resonating voice, you know, that spoke with authority. You know, Christ. Out of his mouth comes a sharp, double-edged sword. His voice is like the sound of rushing waters. Again, I think it's hard for us to think about God, to think about Christ in their glory. But God challenges us to reflect on that, whether it be the tabernacle in the desert, the temple in Israel, Christ in heaven at this time. You go over to Revelation chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, after 
John sees a heavenly scene, sees God in his majesty. In verse 11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. As we live day by day in 2017, reflect often on God's glory. God desires glory. He wants us to live for his glory. But don't make that as something super difficult or hard. God has given us Christ, and in Christ we have life. We have completeness. So as a family... Husbands and fathers lead and love and teach. And wives and mothers help and are companions and follow their husband's leadership as parents teach and train, as children obey and respect. That brings glory to God. I got to do something special. Live daily life in light of Christ at work in us. You go to your job, you go to school, and you study or work hard as unto God, responding to your boss, to your teacher. You don't do eye service, that is, only respond when they're looking or paying attention. You just faithfully respond. Do your homework. Do what the boss says. Not making pay the primary issue, not making the good grades the primary issue, and just doing good work. And studying even if no one will see it. I'm told that if you fly over the Statue of Liberty, you will find the top of it has as much detail as the rest of the statue. Someone was just doing a good job. In daily life, as you go to your job, as you go to school, living out what God says. Bringing glory to God is not something big that we do at points in time. It's a moment by moment living in sensitivity to God. Your finances being content with the basics. And if God blesses you more, use it for his glory. Not demanding beyond the basics, but using what God has blessed you with to care for your needs, but also to minister to others. Well, if I get this $50 million, then I'll use it for God's glory. Use the nickel and the dime that you have for his glory by channeling it and providing for your needs and needs of your family, giving to the Lord and so on. As a local church, how do we bring glory to God? By being humble, Gentle, patient, bearing with one another, striving to maintain the unity of the Spirit. By speaking, building words. By being kind, compassionate, and forgiving one another. That brings glory to God. So you see someone in need and you offer a helping hand or you give them some money or you pray with them. That's the way we bring glory to God. We have a feud with someone. We have a difficulty. We work it out and we resolve it and we forgive or we grant forgiveness. That brings glory to God. 
Again, glory is not something we do. Oh, this great big thing. It's moment by moment living. I attempted to figure out one time how many eggs I touched in my growing up years. I was into the millions when I quit trying to figure. I figured how many chickens we had and how many times I handled those same eggs every day and seven days a week and so on. Do you ever stop to consider that as we took those eggs, picked them out of the nest, put them in a basket, took the basket and put them onto the washer and took them off the washer and put them in the case, that our mindset and our attitude was bringing glory to God. Don't see God's glory as this big thing that is once in a while. It's moment by moment, mundane, routine, living. Saying, God, I want you to get the majesty of the glory. Christ is at work in me. It's no more glorious to God for Ruth Ann to sing this morning than it was for her to be washing some diapers out years ago. They're equal in being able to bring glory to God. So as we think about 2017, God, I want to continue to live for your glory. And as a body seeking to live for God's glory, Jer is going to play something here in a moment, and then I'll go back to a couple of questions. Jer? Anyone know what was going on there? Pardon? Tuning up, warming up, or whatever you want to call it, an orchestra. God wants us as a body to be an orchestra. We don't do the same thing. We're not gifted in the same way. We don't do the same jobs and so on. But just day by day, each of us living in harmony with Christ and with one another, bringing glory to God. Ruthanna has drugged me to a few orchestras along the way, and I'm learning to enjoy them. If nothing else, I just sit amazed at how all you can, can have all these people and they play together in harmony. The conductor is God. 
Christ. And he wants us all to live for his glory. If you're doing it, continue. If you're not, commit yourself to live for his glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy himself forever. I think we wrestle with God enjoying himself, but he won't yield his glory to anyone else. Let's sing together several songs as we close our service. Travis.